The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hey guys, I just wanted to let you know that this podcast is presented by mybookie.ag and that if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, that you will get a 50% deposit bonus on your first deposit. And given that you are a listener to this podcast, I would assume you're relatively knowledgeable about sports and I would trust you to try your edge on the online sports book. You can lay down some money and get in on the action at one of the safest online sports books in the world. It's the only one that I am currently using. You can wager on all sorts of different outcomes on mybookie.ag, soccer, football, any major league, esports. You can even create your own player props, which is useful for me because if you know anything about me, I do enjoy uh, a good player prop. So if you deposit using the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, you get a you get a 50% de- bonus when you deposit and i will add this for listeners of the takecast if you deposit using the promo code matic and you send proof of it to me on twitter i will follow you on twitter and you can have access to me via dms whenever you want that's the that's the takecast bonus that i'm adding in association with the mybookie.ag deposit bonus now let's get back to the show Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the TakeCast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. This week, I am joined by my great pal, Pat Mayo, to uh, have a, a very interesting discussion. I think uh, we talked about the Ryder Cup to begin with, so some good, actionable information there. But then we just got more into the heart of what the TakeCast is really about, you know, life in Western society. And I think it's a really interesting episode because Pat and I don't necessarily agree on everything, and that's a really good position to be in. We feel differently about, you know, how to... Uh, approach problems in Western society, and I think you guys will like that. I think it's a good and entertaining lesson, and hopefully we'll have another episode like it, another episode like it soon, and we'll get into it right after this quick advertisement. Daily Roto is a mostly proud sponsor of the TakeCast, a mostly sports podcast. TakeCast listeners can save 10% at Daily Roto with the promo code Janis, J-A-N-I-S. If you are playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto will help you improve your daily fantasy results this fall and save time in the process with lineup optimizers, ownership projections, fantasy projections, premium content, and much more. They have all the good stuff that you want to help you make money at sports betting and daily fantasy. Their new lineup optimizer will let you build optimal GPP teams with stacks based on their projections faster than I can punt money off betting on Peter Uline. Sure, you can play the guys that I recommend each week, but shouldn't you also get advice from a proven daily fantasy winner like Drew Dinkmeyer? Yes, I do have better hair than Drew, but I also have his cell phone number, and that makes me a winner almost as much as it makes him a winner of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And it's not just fantasy. They have tools to bet on player props, golf matchups, and a customizable NFL game simulator for this fall. 
Head over to dailyrodeo.com slash premium and save 10% with promo code Janice today. Hello, everyone. Welcoming back my good pal, Pat Mayo, to the TakeCast. We've, we've done one episode where we learned that uh, the CFL is the preferred sport of, of the Canadian version of Hillbillies, Canadian Rednecks, and uh, a lot of other fun PME facts. And it was actually his idea to come do the show this time, which is great for me, by the way. Any of you listening, if you're uh, someone important and you want to be on the show, makes things a lot easier for me when you approach me and ask if you want to do the show. So uh, feel, feel free to slide in my DMs. Pat, how you doing, man? I feel exactly the same way. I'm feeling great this morning, but it's, yeah, I mean, I, I do like six shows a week and I'm constantly trying to book people for the shows. And sometimes like you just forget about people sure. uh, because you're constantly trying to book everything. Like, oh, I'm going to use that guy because I know that guy is always available. So you just use him. People just reach out most of the time. But the one thing I don't like is like people you don't know being like, you should definitely have me on. I know the most. It's like, no, you don't. Very, it's like very rare that someone you don't know would know the most, but like, if you're someone I don't, I mean, if you have 83 Twitter followers, I'm not going to have you on the show just because, uh, I mean, you could be intelligent, you could be smart, but I'm not going to be the guy to give you your break. And also it seems like a lot of work trying to get you, uh, exposure, but yeah, I mean, how great is it when people do the booking for you? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. I've never not booked my own show. So I, I really understand now. Like when you see like some of these bigger shows or like bigger podcasts, like they have bookers, that just seems like such a dream. It is like uh, like two episodes ago, Pat was like, hey, I, I want to do the show. And I was like, great. Yes. At what time works for you? Lock it in. Because like during football season, I'm kind of so like I'm so busy that I've just been doing this once a week anyways. And like everyone else who I would want to have on the show is also busy because we're all busy during football season. We all have stuff to do. So it's, it's, I mean, this is just, this is a cakewalk and uh, we have good subject material to talk about too, because the Ryder cup is about to start. And as we just found out before the show, we have uh, opposite sides. Yeah. I like Europe uh, this time around. And, and I, I, I agree with your point. I went over this, I did a big preview with Feinberg on my show, but like I'm looking, you said it's plus plus one forty-five on on Bodog. Yes. Currently. Yeah, so is that including the tie or not? Yeah, the tie is 11 to 1. The tie is 11 to 1. Okay, those are better odds than I'm looking at right now. Um, so I'll probably take the 145. I just think it's a lot closer than people think. I think that like home course advantage, like playing in Europe, is sort of a factor. Europe always tends to play really well at home. And I just think the disparity between like the good players on the U.S. team and the bad players on the U.S. team could get them into a lot of trouble if Furyk's not a good captain. So like... What happens that if we see like the the first run out and like Bubba and Phil are on the course? Yeah, that's so that's like that's literally that's the only way. The only way is if if like Webb and Bubba and Phil are playing a bunch of the key matches. Actually, you know what though? I'll even say I I I wagered against Phil a lot in the last Ryder Cup, and I lost a lot of Bitcoin that way because he he smashed it in like some good underdog spots. Yeah, well, Phil's, Phil is good in the sense that, like, and this can go either way, like, this specific course in general, where even when we saw Le Pont de France earlier this year, like, it was a pure accuracy course, like, but that was in terms of stroke play, so it could swing back the other way, like, Rom was competitive in that tournament, so was Sergio, but they took themselves out of the tournament, because, like, they both made, like, triples to start the day, now, at the Ryder Cup, that's not that big of a deal, you make a triple, you lose a hole. 
And so it might, it might be a bomb and gouge type of course for birdies trading with bogeys, that kind of thing. But if you're just looking for like the steady Eddie team, if you think this course is going to play difficult, and I assume that when you look at the teams that, you know, the Ryder Cup being in Europe, the host team would probably just crank up the fescue and crank up the rough because the one good thing about the European team is they have tough decisions to make of who they're going to play because there's no real definitive, like, after Rory and Rose, like, who are our best players? Who's our well, worst player? Rahm and Fleetwood, but they, they will not view it that way, though. Uh, well, Poulter will play every session, which is, yeah. I, would, I would play him every session, too. But they you, have this you, sort of... You, you think you would play Poulter over Stenson and Molinari? I mean, I don't see why that, that they all can't play, but sure. I just think, I think like, like Poulter, Norin, Hatton, Olison, like these guys are that, that the bottom of the, of the European roster does not seem particularly strong to me. I think that I see, I would say that Sergio is the word Sergio and Norin are probably the two worst guys coming into this on the European team. And isn't, isn't Casey in like egregious form? No, Casey just finished top 10 at the tour championship. I too, I tuned out after the Northern Trust. But Tiger won. I a f- football season, man. That's right. Listen, I, when you're me, you got to balance both. And also, you have to remember, like, for a, for a 26 year old, a lot of like Tiger's greatness. I was like a like I was like a 13 year old who was like too busy, you know, being a 13 year old to watch golf on TV on the weekends. Like, I yeah, don't, but- I don't, I don't have that same attachment to Tiger that like a lot of football Twitter does. I think it's just sports people in general, like of a certain age. Like, I guess I'm 33, so maybe I'm at the bottom end of that or potentially even lower. But I was into golf as a kid. I golfed. My dad loved watching golf. Yeah, so my I dad watched, watched golf, and I, I knew Tiger was great. And I was, I, but like, uh, I, I don't have a ton of memories of watching him on TV of, of like young Tiger. Like, I kind of remember like uh, right before the fall, like two, three years, Tiger. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's sort of like I wasn't a big basketball fan as a kid, but I was a big Michael Jordan type of guy, and Tiger's that kind of sports figure. Yeah, I mean, he he is, he definitely is. It's just like, I wasn't, when I was at, I was at the Chiefs game, so it's like, I didn't even have, I wasn't even there for a T, like, I didn't even have a TV to watch if I would have wanted to. Chiefs, yeah, the Chiefs must be just fun to watch in person this year. They're fun to watch on TV. It was the most, it was the most money I have ever paid for a sporting ticket in my adult life. Was I sat, I sat like nine rows back at the Mahomes home opener, and it was I paid dearly for it. Can, can I tell you that I hate going to sporting events? You know, I do too. Most like baseball, horrible. The the parking situation at Arrowhead Stadium, Pat. It, it's like the, when I go to hell, it will I will just be stuck in the parking situation at Arrowhead for the rest of my life. That's the one really good thing about living where I live is that I, I mean I don't I'm actually getting a car soon, but I don't need a car. Um, different reasons. My wife wants one, but like to get to any of these sporting events, like I can either walk or take the subway. Yeah, you take the subway. Kansas City. So like when they when they built these stadiums, you know, forty years ago or whatever, like the these stadiums were in like cow pastures, basically, like. <laughs> like there was just nothing out there. And now there's like a whole second part of Kansas city that's up around these stadiums. And it just makes it impossible to get into and out of the stadiums. Does Kansas city have a subway system? No. Mm -mm. 
is there like a decent like rail transit of any sort? Because like I lived in Calgary for a while and they have, they call it the C train, but it's, it's sort of like the one in Chicago. It's like an above ground train. No, we don't even have, we don't even have like anything approximating the L in Chicago. Like downtown, downtown, there's like a very small, like maybe five square mile, like trolley system. But other than that, it's all driving or Ubers. Yeah, see, I, I Uber most places just because it's super convenient. And I use Uber so much that they give me eight bucks off every ride, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's not that's that's beautiful. It's like Kansas City. I love living here. It's a great place. But it is just like a really big version of a small town. That's really like that's really what it is. Yeah, but like is traffic bad? Like, can you drive places? You can like... I mean, traffic is bad, relatively speaking. Like if, if at five o'clock I wanted to drive somewhere up the highway, it would take me 45 minutes instead of 20 minutes. Like, so my office where I shoot from, from like the, the reason that I picked, I, we picked our, our house pretty carefully to be directly across the street from a subway stop. But yeah. like, and I picked my office to be at sort of the bottom straight shoot of the subway stop where I'm at, but I still Uber a lot because I'm always running behind and like trying to sleep in. But I think my office is like maybe three kilometers from my front door, which is like, I don't know, like a, almost two miles. And sometimes it might take like 25 minutes to drive there, <laughs> which is crazy. It, it never It never gets like that here. And like I live, I even live in like you know, a sort of active area of the city, like near a lot of like bars and like a bar district. And even then it's just, it's really not ever bad around my house. We should probably talk Ryder Cup instead of like yeah, our, so, our, our, our Uber lifestyle. <laughs> so the Ryder, the Ryder Cup, I, I am just of the opinion that this is a particularly weak European team. And this, I think this is this a European good European team is so much better than the last European team. Well, I had a, I was I was big on I was big on the European team last time. And and they I, had I paid yearly. Yeah, well, they I mean they had what Andy Sullivan. They had Danny Willett after Danny Willett got bad, so that's not good. They had Matthew Fitzpatrick on the team, so like outside of like Baroff, then you know, no one else was fired up for that. Yeah, I mean, I I just think at the top end, like having having DJ, having Brooks, having Spieth, having. Bryson having Finau having Tiger playing so well like I I did I am I am investing on the USA you you are more in tune with the golf world right now than I am though but after seeing these odds I'm betting the USA I I was gonna say like I feel like I'm on the minority opinion here that I think that Europe's gonna win but like it it, instead of calling it like plus 145 let's call it plus 150 theoretically like do you really think that they're that big of underdogs like I would bet it at plus 120 you would you would bet it at plus one twenty. I mean, it's hard to. The format is basically the format is basically engineered to bring the two sides closer together, right? Yes. So it's like, yeah. I mean, at that sense, it's probably a good mathematical bet to get one forty five. And I just think that the skill set of the players, if I've broken it down correctly, which as people who know me know that I'm not great at doing this and picking things correctly. But just the players on the European team, really like this is a Molinari course. Yeah, that's so, true. So, and every player on the European team, outside of Rory McIlroy and Rom, are all sort of Molinari type players. Like, there's no deficiencies. Like, when you go and look at all the players, like if you want to say like accuracy, well, most like ten out of the twelve guys 
on the European team are super accurate. They're good drivers. They're not bombers, but they're good drivers. They're all really good with both long irons and mid-range irons, and they're all good around the green. Just take a look at the guys on the Euro team. You know what the one thing that they don't do is? Putt. And what's the one thing that we always talk about? The putting is just highly variable. Well, if you if you want to say that, then I would I would like if you just ran it based on like stroke average, like the stuff that Daily Roto does, like the uh, just I mean I don't even know exactly everything that Data Golf does, but I know that these guys on the USA team pop in their model every week, like Bryson Brooks, DJ, JT, Finau, like those are like seven of the best twelve golfers in the world. They are, but this is also a different type of competition than you know they're generally used to playing. Uh, it's in Europe. It's going to be played on a Lynx style course. So I'm just curious to see if guys like DJ and Brooks and Bubba and like these just big, big bombers uh, are going to be at a disadvantage here. If they can bomb and gouge, the USA probably runs away with it. If not, they're going to lose. Like these teams of like, I don't know, let's say Fleetwood and Molinari are going to give them a whole they're going to give them a much bigger challenge than I think a lot of people think. Like, who do you think plays together for the U S I hope, I hope that we get, I hope that we get a Bryson and tiger pairing. I, I would I, just I, love that. I, I think Bryson's going to be the best player at this Ryder cup for the U S I mean, I think DJ will be, but I think Bryson, Bryson will have like two or three moments where people are like, wow, this dude with the, the quirky clubs is a baller. Yeah. I just, Maybe you're right. Like DJ Brooks, I'm kind of terrified of like being on the European side. Yeah, of like like w- w- at what point is Europe getting any points against those two guys? Like I just I don't see I don't I don't think you can make a matchup of European players that ever would project to beat those two guys. Well, I, I think that the 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 best team potentially that you could get here is Rose and Stenson. Rosen Stenson is a solid dude. Yeah, but Rosen Stenson gets smashed even by, like, Spieth Fowler, probably? No, that's absolutely not true. You don't think so? I mean, I guess Spieth's game is, is totally in the and, toilet. And, 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 and Spieth's playing with Reed. That, until they lose, they're Oh, playing. you're right, yeah. That's the other thing is I don't, I don't even like Patrick Reed, but he's like Mr. U- like, he's like not even one of my guys that I bet or anything, but he's like Mr. USA. Yeah, it's just like Poulter's Mr. Europe. Like, Poulter has the best record of anyone at this Ryder Cup, by far. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the Ryder Cup is like, it's a great spectacle, and it's really hard to project, because, like, this is even, there's even more variables at play that we cannot control for in terms of betting than we normally do with golf. And there are a lot of people, like, former Ryder Cup players have even said stuff like... Hey, Playing each hole of the Ryder Cup is sort of like the equivalent to being in contention in the fourth round trying to get a win. Like, there's just so much pressure baked into each of the matches because it means so much to everyone. And, like, I, Bubba might start to cry on the course after these French fans get to him. And Dustin will just be like, what? Yeah, Dustin will just be too coked out to know what's going on. Yeah, what's the what's up with Dustin and Paulina? And, like, what I, I've seen Twitter rumors. Do you have the, Do you have the scuttlebutt on this? I don't. I, I don't know if I believe any of it. So, I mean, what, it all what, what is what is the rumor? It, the rumor is that Dustin's been banging some like Euro Tour groupie. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound all that implausible. It doesn't. But yeah, you want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Dustin, to me, has never seemed like a bad dude, though. Just kind of like a guy who like like he, he seems like a, a guy who likes to have a good time, not a guy who's like trying to hurt people's feelings. I, I agree. And just like in everything he like golfers are just inherently very, very private to begin with. So like even when he was when he took those mysterious six months off from tour, like everyone's like, Yeah, he got suspended for cocaine. 
And it's like, well, we don't actually know that. We just like to joke about it. It's like when uh, Michael Jordan got suspended for gambling. Exactly. Like, it's fun to think that sort of stuff, but that just could not be the case. All right. So I say USA minus 135. You say Europe plus 145. Who do you have for top European point score? Poulter. Poulter at 10 to 1. I, I, am, I just have him as overall. I think that if you're going to bet this, just take take the extended odds, just bet them as top point score, not necessarily for... The, the whole thing that like when you think about like top point score, you have to project who you think is going to play every match. Right, yeah. So, that I mean, I think that Bryson gets the most points, but Brooks might be a better bet because I doubt they sit Brooks. Yeah, Brooks, uh, Brooks won't sit. But, but I, don't here's think, the I don't know if Bryson will, though. But well, here's the thing, and this is why I, I keep coming back to Europe, is the U.S. is going to feel obligated to play a lot of these guys. Like, there's no reason to play Bubba a single shot until singles. Like, it just, there, there's no point. Like, they shouldn't play Webb Simpson either. Not to why say that is, did, Webb, did Webb get in on points, or was he a captain's pick? No, Webb and Bubba both got on with points. Webb got the last spot on the last week by Kevin. Whatever I, I despise Webb Simpson. I don't like watching him play. I don't like the courses he does well at. Like, I just, I just do not like that guy. Well, this is going to be a, this is going to be a bad course for him because like the bomb and gouge can go one way. Like if you're hitting at three thirty and you're not accurate and you end up in the fescue, at least you have like a wedge in like for the past, since the players, since he ran away with the players, the putting's still been good. The irons have been hit and miss, but Webb Simpson can't drive the ball anymore. And that used to kind of be his, he was sort of like Molinari, that he right. didn't hit it super far, but he hit it down the middle every single time. He's not doing that anymore. So yeah. like he, he's a liability. I Phil is hit and miss, but I think he like the way that he's playing right now, he's more a liability than a help. And Bubba's going to be just awful. Uh, while, we're, while we're talking about golf, are you excited for this Thanksgiving Day matchup between, between Phil and Tiger? I mean, no, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to, like, watch it. <laughs> it's like, here's the thing, though. That's a tough broadcast. That's a, a four-hour broadcast of two dudes playing a course is tough. Like, I, I think they need to jazz it up. Like, they need to be betting on each shot, stuff like that. No, they need – what they need is they need, like, four other groups of guys who are also gambling. So Because, like, you can't just – watch a shot, watch Phil walk to the shot, watch Tiger walk to the shot, talk to the caddy, choose the club, take a practice swing. Like, that's horribly boring. They got to have more stuff to show. So so what you're saying is, like, you have, like, your two main commentators. It's, like, it's Turner, so I don't know who's going to be doing it. I guess, like, Barkley, Ernie Johnson. Probably. What's that? Barkley. Yeah, Barkley and Ernie Johnson. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You could have, like, two, like, real golf announcers do, like, the – play-by-play and you stick with them and then you could have like the the Berkeley and two professional game like just me Feinberg and Berkeley just cut to that feed like as we're like live betting in between shots yeah well it's just like I, I mean if you're thinking about your Thanksgiving day and I know it's different in Canada but you have football going on you have college football stuff going on that whole week like but but pro football obviously is going to be at the center of it are you are you switching over from the Cowboys game to watch Phil, you know, take a practice swing? See, I don't think that's a thing anymore, is it? Like, I watch, like, five screens at once whenever I want to. I mean, sure. I don't. I mean, I have, like, a nice TV, but I don't, ha- I don't have the split screen. So if, what I do no, is... I, 
I, I have my TV, but I have like two iPads and two computers that I can just hook up and just have those in front of me too. Like it, that'll be a second screen experience unless the football game sucks, but I'll still be watching it. I guess I'm just, I'm really thinking that this is like some, this is like a missed opportunity. Cause it's not like you couldn't, you could get Ricky out there to play a money match. You could get JT out there to play a money match probably. Yeah, I mean, you, listen, you, you could make this an undercard. I, I think that would be huge, and it'd be a great way to spotlight. Like, one of the biggest problems the tour has had, I mean, it's you know, doing well now because Tiger's playing well, but in the absence of Tigers, they didn't make any new stars. Like, as good as D- Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas are, they're not stars. Have you, have you been to a major? Have you ever been? No, I have to work all the majors. So I went to the Sunday, the PGA Championship, uh, when Brooks won. Were you a part of the Tiger crowd? No. See, that's the thing. I was like, why would you waste your whole day following a guy who's probably not going to win? And and you can't see anything if you follow Tiger. You can't, you can't see any shots. The, the, and the answer is that the only reason that those people are there is because they know who Tiger Woods is. And, but it was like, I had, I, I mean, I had a great time. It was amazing to see all these great golfers play. Like it was uh, you should de- somewhat, if you're listening to this, you should definitely go to the Sunday of a golf major. But I had this like very jarring experience where I realized I'm at the last day of a major championship and 70% of these people don't even know the guy who's in the lead and they just want Tiger to win. People, Brooks birdied, what, what was it, 15? It was, it was either 14 or 15 and people booed him because <laughs> it moved it because it moved him too ahead of Tiger. He was getting he was getting booze uh, on that green and then on the 18th green where they had a screen showing the CBS broadcast because he moved further ahead of Tiger and I, well, it was a very disheartening experience for me. Well, the the whole the move that no one has pulled yet is someone sort of needs to be like Brooks should be more like Shooter McGavin. Like, there's no heels, there's no bad guys besides Patrick Reed on the PGA Tour, but you need like an elite level player. Like, remember when everyone hated Sergio <laughs> just because yeah. he was. He was European and not Tiger, but like right. he had like a villain role for like 10 years. That really helped Sergio's career. I don't think, I don't think, I don't want Brooks to be the heel though, because Brooks has the ability to be like the best American golfer, not named Dustin Johnson. I don't want him to, I would actually love a heel turn from Ricky. I think that would be hilarious if Ricky just went even more flamboyant and just like kind of developed like a bad attitude. Oh, that would be fantastic. So basically, if he was just Jordan Spieth, who should be the biggest villain on Oh, I mean, well, if you talk to people in the golf community, he is. Like, I don't, do you know anyone who likes Spieth? No. <laughs> like, me, like, me and all my buddies who I would talk about golf with, we all hate Spieth. Like, I just, it, it, well, it's, it's sad because like, it, there's nothing personally that Jordan Spieth does to make him a bad guy. He is just unwatchable. Yeah, it that I mean, I actually think Jordan is probably a good guy, but he is not fun to watch golf. He he fusses around for every shot too long. He just always looks like he's having a bad time. Like it's the exact opposite experience of watching DJ. Yeah, I mean the the best guy to watch on tour. Like if you were just going to sit down and watch around, Brant Snedeker is easily the best guy to watch. Really? He doesn't line up shots. He takes like two seconds. <laughs> I, just, I mean, he, he actually goes for everything. I've actually, uh, I've actually seen him a fair bit because he he normally gets in the featured group on PGA Tour Live. He's just fun to watch. He seems like he's just joking the entire time. He never really gets too high. Never really gets too down. And like, if there's a chance for him to make a shot, he goes for it. When does the when does the big one and done pool start up again? Uh, January. 
I, I, I did so bad the first two months this year that I just like stopped routinely submitting picks. It happened. You shouldn't have done that because it's, it's split up into segments. If you I win know, a segment, I, know. I, I, segment, I really fished it. You like a couple grand. Yeah, I really, I really fished it. My, uh, I, I, I didn't do all that hot this year. None of us did, but my producer, Paul ended up coming like 26th. I think the guy who, the guy who won is like a PME fan, right? Yeah. He's a fantasy national member, viewer of the show. So it's great to know that people who watch my show are way better at what I do than what I do. That actually was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Let's start getting into, for those listening at home, Pat actually did the agenda for this show. Up until, up until now, I've done an agenda for every episode of this show, but this is the, this is the first show where we're just kind of winging it. So if it sounds different than normal, that would be why. Okay, so it was just about, I, I enjoy how thoughtful you seem to be, at least when you're speaking with your guests and that you give things real consideration and you're able to talk it out with people without being too triggered by everything. And it's, it makes for a really nice listen. Like it's, it's fun to hear a nice conversation, whether you agree or disagree with people to hear people actually talk about it instead of just recite talking points is really nice. So it it comes down to the point of like, I thought about this in the context of me because I'm a megalomaniac and everything needs to be centered around me. Well, of course. Call it only child syndrome. I don't know. But do people really know what the point of their job is? No, no. People have a very hard time valuing their time and worth appropriately. And I think it's very hard for people to admit that their job just exists to provide cheap labor to a larger company that allows them to turn a profit. Like I think if someone really sat down and thought about the fact that their job just allows CEOs and boards of directors to make millions of dollars at a, at an efficient rate, I think it would be pretty depressing. And I think it's a, a natural thing we have built up against like the inherent violence of capitalism to like not focus on that too much. Well, I, I was trying to think about it in the context of me. What is my job? Is my job to make good picks and win people money? Like that, that is not my job. No, your job, your job is to entertain people and provide them like a 45 minute window to forget about like the petty frustrations of their life. So that is the purpose of the show in terms of what the consumer thinks, but what is my actual job? So like I, I own a production company. I started one. So one of my clients is DraftKings. So when I work with DraftKings in my partnership, I essentially, my job is to get people to play on DraftKings. Right. I mean, and that's like what uh, a lot of like my work in fantasy football comes down to. It's like to get people to play more on DraftKings or to get people to uh, spend more time engaging with their fantasy team, which sells more content, which sells advertisements on the sites that fantasy football exists on. Like it's, it's really all just a cycle to funny, funnel the money upwards. Yeah. So like in terms of like the purpose for like my company and me from the show is to grow an audience and not only grow an audience, but grow an engaged audience. So I can sell advertisements or sell whatever off that. So I can make money too. Uh, But like the actual purpose of the show is basically just there to get people to engage with the site of the client that I'm technically working for. So I, I, when I started to think about the show in that way, uh, and like my job in that way, it just, it, it, it makes it seem not necessarily less fun because doing the show, like even what we're doing right now is super fun. Uh, but there's that other part of it. And I think that when people, especially in like the fantasy community, uh, when, when people value their time and like what they want to work up to, I, I think that's the part that they don't consider. Definitely. And I just think that um, people, 
in general, one of the biggest issues with our society, not even an issue with our society, just an issue to your life is not valuing your time enough. Your time is really the only thing that you own and money is nothing but a representation of how you choose to turn your time into value. And not that I'm saying that every second of every day you need to be doing something meaningful to add value to your life or to others, but like something a lot of people have said to me this year is like, why are you writing so many different fantasy articles for so many different sites? And I was like, you know, I spend all of this time researching fantasy football regardless. I'm in a bunch of leagues. I listen to all the podcasts. I track all the stats myself. Why would I not spend an hour a day writing a fantasy football article? Like just to turn that time I'm spending anyways into value. And that's just like an example of it. Like there are all sorts of ways that you are using your time that actively subtracts value from your life, you know? I feel like that, that there should be, again, this, this was another thing that I wanted to bring up because uh, I, I heard you talking about this. I believe it was with Denny about just like having time away from screens. Like you go for yeah. a walk, don't bring your phone with you. I, I mean, I, I just did the latest iPhone update and it's actually quite good. It's made my phone run way faster. But they give you, they give you the screen time update. They give me the screen time update and I looked at it and it's It's sad. horrifying. Yeah. Like I, I spend like upwards of 70 hours on not just my phone, but like, a, and the problem is like when I'm on my phone, I'm probably consuming like a podcast at the same time and looking at something on my oh, phone. I take I have my headphones in all day. Yeah, I, I wake up, I, you know, I have breakfast, I, I hang out with my girlfriend and then she goes to her office job, you know, which is much more structured. Yeah. It's much more structured, but I'm just at home all day. And basically I, I put my headphones in, I go and walk the dog with a podcast on. I come back, I start working. A podcast is still playing. You know, I'm talking to you right now, but I have, you know, four virtual offices open right now. If anyone needs something, they can get to me. It's like, it's just insane, the level of engagement. And I assume now, it's similar for you too. Yeah, because I, I, I especially during fo football season is really where this really crops up. Because at least during like golf season or the off season uh, from football, like, um, you know, on Thursday and Friday, I can... I can film something. I can film it ahead of time. I can really take a breath kind of thing. And football, like I can't not be behind on news because everyone's on top of the news. And mm -hmm. you imagine like talking about football and being behind on the news. Like it comes down to one thing, like you might give like shitty advice, but at least I'm not out of the loop in terms of what's actually going on. So like, that's why I never worry about the advice part. Like here's the information. Here's the information I have. Here are the stats behind it. Right. Here's what I think. You can, I'm giving you the information to make, a, to make a choice for yourself. Here's what I'm doing. You don't need to do that, but I'm not actively giving you bad or out of date information. So it makes it seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Just like on a Saturday night, I'll be out like having a beer with my friends, checking on Twitter just to make sure that. Gotta, I mean, you got to have like, at least like I probably, if I'm doing that on a Saturday night, I'm refreshing Roto World, like the player news section once an hour minimum. Like it was better because uh, I, I recently quit smoking. Oh, so you're and just dying inside? I'm dying inside. I hate my life. Even on the show, you can tell like I'm actively meaner than I was like a month ago. Sure. But hopefully that all works out. Um, but like at least when I was like out drinking before, like out with friends or do whatever, I'd be on a five minute smoke break. Perfect time to check your phone. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I also, I quit smoking like a longer time ago and there's just nothing like that first week 
of not smoking where it's just like your, your skin wants to fall off. It's horrible. Well, there, it works because the last time I quit smoking, um, yeah, obviously it stuck. I used the, the Champix pill. Which just makes you sick if you smoke, right? Yeah. I mean, like you take it for two weeks, like while you smoke and then like you wean off smoking. And then like, if you try to smoke while you're on it, um, you just, yeah, you get sick. Um, but there's all these, these, like, if you see the commercial for it, it's like, yeah. And I, I've talked to a lot of people and they've never had a cigarette again. So I was like, I might as well try this. Like, why not? Just taking a pill, whatever. Uh, but like at the bottom, it's like, may cause like sad thoughts. Like I'm not a super sad guy. Like I've never really sure. battled depression or anything like that, but I didn't want to get out of bed when I was on this pill. Like it was bad. I gained 30 pounds in six months. For like, real? Yeah. I didn't want to exercise. Like, and I'm, I'm constantly exercising. Like that's my biggest fear this time about quitting smoking that the last time I did it, I gained so much weight. I mean, yeah, you I, do want to eat all the time if you're not smoking. Yeah. I've been trying the nicotine gum. That's not so bad. Uh, I tried the nicotine spray, which makes me want to throw up every time. So I had to stop. I feel like you, that. I feel like you'd be a patch guy. Tried the patch. The problem with the patch is that you have the super strong patch. Actually, my buddy Cuss was with me one time when in like 2009 when I tried to quit. And I had the patch on. He was smoking. I was like, fuck it, give me a smoke. And I smoked with the patch on and like I basically fell through a table. Yeah, also, I mean. It also accelerates your, the patch accelerates your REM. Like you need to, uh, you need to take it off before you fall asleep, like well in advance of falling asleep. But I have trouble sleeping. So I either just randomly sleep at weird times during the day for like half an hour. Uh, so I would fall asleep with the patch on and wake up in like a cold sweat. Fair enough. I mean, I had no idea it would do that with your REM cycle. Yeah. Like it just excel, like it just it accelerates everything going on in your mind. So yeah, it's, it, I was reading into it. So this nicotine gums. All right. The, the hardest part about quitting smoking for me, I found like when I'm at home, it's not hard. Like if I'm here with my wife, she doesn't smoke, she's never smoked and it's easy to break that cycle. It's work that I find like if I'm like this morning, like I spend my Tuesday mornings doing research, doing up my rankings, writing these like corporate scripts that I'm obligated to do for, you know, partners like Buffalo Wild Wings or like NBC Philadelphia Eagles hit that sort of thing. Like I try to bang them all out at once or at least get a good part for it. So I spend like five, six hours doing that. And like, I'm so used to like when I wake up Mondays and write my golf column, I'll write the first paragraph, go for a cigarette, take a break, clear my mind, come back in. Like it's so ingrained with the way that I work. And even like when I'm shooting the show, it'd be like, Hey, we're right before the show, have a cigarette to calm down. Uh, and just get ready and like get in a good zone. Like when Paul and I are editing, Paul also smokes. So that helps uh, when yeah. you want, want someone to go smoke with, but like, Hey, like we're done the show. We finish editing the show. Uh, you hit exports like, Oh, it's going to be 45 minutes. Well, what do we do? Man, might as well go for a smoke. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, all of that's very real. Like media. I, you look at all the different facets of life and where smoking has been cut out of and like people just don't smoke anymore. But like construction workers, people that work in kitchens and media people, I think all still smoke at the same rate. It's, it's very interesting having this conversation as a former smoker. Cause like two years ago, I would have really sympathized with you, but I, I, I just like, uh, I just, I really wanted to be able to like run and work out and just like do all this stuff without feeling like I was limiting myself by smoking. And also, uh, I, I like was putting so much like hot sauce and stuff on my food that it was like messing with my stomach because I'd been smoking for so long that my taste buds were like jacked. Oh, see, I, I never experienced that. When did you start smoking? 
Oh, very young, like 15, 16. See, I went the other way. I didn't start smoking until third year of college. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I smoked pretty much all throughout college. Like a here and there, here and there, I would stop for a couple months, but this is like the, this is like by far the longest I've ever quit. But I, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping like just even like my wife and I got life insurance minus four times as much per month as hers. Just like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, that it's, it's horrible. And I actually, so like, this is different than, uh, than in Canada, but you know, we have this awful dumb healthcare system here in the States and I just turned 26. So I got kicked off of my dad's very good health insurance plan. And I'm Why don't you get a real job. Why don't you get a real job at a real company and get yourself some health insurance? Yeah, I should. Like I should go work part-time at Starbucks or something just to save. And I I'm, I'm paying just a ridiculous amount of money per month for like, I mean, it's good healthcare, but it's not like, like it's nothing like what a, an actual rich person would have. But I mean, that's no different. What you would have to pay for healthcare is no different than what I pay for healthcare, except I'm forced to pay for it. Well, I'm forced to pay for it too. I mean, you could just not have it if you didn't want to. No, no, you get, uh, you get, there's like, you get, um, what am I trying to say? You get taxed, you get, you get a, a fine on your year end taxes if you do not have healthcare. Okay. So is it like substantial? I don't actually know. And I, I mean, obviously stuff is changing as our government transitions from one side of things to the other, but it does, it costs you money to not have it. And also like, I'm, I, uh, I'm like kind of a hypochondriac. I like always think I'm dying a little bit. So I average like four or five doctor's visits a year. And if you did not have any health insurance doing that in the States, it would, you would pay for it. Yeah. So the thing is all like whenever people talk about socialized medicine and you look at the other countries, the, the main difference between the United States and all those countries is the exponentially higher tax rate that we all pay compared to you. So we're still paying for it. It's just, like I said, we're forced to pay for it. I mean, I would be, I would be totally fine paying higher taxes provided I agreed with the decisions that my government was making with it. As a, as a Canadian, how do you do you feel your tax dollars are being used appropriately or do you resent the system under which you live? I mean, I, I think culturally we're all okay with it. Um, I mean, we're not all okay with it, obviously, but are there I, like, is, is I, I don't even actually know this. Is there a big like right wing contingency in Canada? Oh, that's funny. You mentioned that. Cause that's one of the things that I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about. Again, that was one of my topics was, uh, yeah, there is, but right wing in Canada is way different than right wing in the United States. Okay. So like our, we have a parliamentary system here instead of a presidential system. So there's a lot of different parties. It's a lot like the, I mean, it's exactly like the British system. We have our, they have the house of Lords. We have the house of commons and we have like our Senate, but our Senate is unelected. They're like a figurehead type place. Like you have to pass through, like it's a bicameral system. So you still have to pass through the house of commons and then through the Senate. The Senate never actually blocks anything because they're all just appointed by people. Yeah. So technically speaking, a, if a party holds a majority in the House of Commons in Canada, they would technically have more power than the president does. If the president, like even if he controlled the Senate, controlled, uh, controlled the uh, House of Representatives, technically the prime minister could push through almost anything he wanted because the only people that he would have to go through would be the Senate, which doesn't do anything, and the Queen is represented by the Governor General in Canada, which is purely a figurehead position that doesn't actually get involved in politics yeah. so yeah you can see that but like right-wing stuff like they just had the the conservative party of canada 
just had their like uh, their their annual meeting because there's going to be an election coming up uh, in probably a year and a half, something like that. And they put stuff on the table like, do we want to make uh, what was it? Do we want to make abortion like something that we care about? And they all voted no. <laughs> like, okay, that's wait. Like, what did they vote against? So like as like when they, the caucus gets together, they like they throw it out to the members of the party who are at like the national convention of what are we going to focus on this time around? Like, what are the things that mean a lot to you that you want to see changed? Uh, if we if we're running for to run the government, what actually means a lot to you? And they throw out things like because it is the conservative party and like right wing people, a lot of older people and that kind of thing. But like gay marriage has been off the table for them for so long. Abortion has been off the table for them. Like it's it means something to a very small minority of the conservative party. But the conservative party in general doesn't care about that stuff. They yeah. want more. They want smaller, more efficient government. Um, they want to pay less in taxes. And I'm kind of with them on that one. Who doesn't want to pay less in tax? No one wants to pay more in tax, especially here where you pay like over 50% anyway. But you guys don't, such a, such a, like a, a great mind thing about being Canadian has to know that your government is not spending trillions of dollars to go attack other small, poor countries with brown people. Or maybe they are, and I just don't know. I mean, we just kind of, we, we don't have, it's it's odd looking from, from it like the outside looking in so like i'm looking at america and like you guys you know your role is world police though you kind of have to do these things someone has to do it you can't just let everyone run around like crazy people you it is true that there is absolutely a role for larger government bodies with more money more people to do some policing to do some humanitarian work what i think most americans who would align more with me politically would say is to do that you don't necessarily need you know all these contracts with third party services like uh i'm like i'm blackwater yes like exactly like blackwater was the name i was looking for you don't you definitely don't need that you don't need uh you know big giant billion dollar tanks to go deal with these people and yeah but but at the same time this is these are all like when you talk about like stimulating the economy and keeping everything going this that's a part of the american economy it really is well that is a whole different argument as to how war became something that propped up the economy the inherent drawbacks of war being the profit machine for the government and uh, like that's that's a whole different societal structure thing because it is true that war is inherently good for the economy and increases production and increases spending, um, but it well, also it, increases inflation. It, it increases everything. But the one thing that war did, especially uh, especially to get people out of the Great Depression, was it really increased innovation. And that's the one thing that I don't think. Like when I hear people, especially Americans, talk about like socialism and a move towards socialism, because of human nature and especially with the population of America, socialism is never going to work. Like you're just not going to get everyone on the same page like that. Like people are too cutthroat. They're not going to want it. It's going to take such a tipping point to galvanize and put everyone together that the majority would want that because most Americans don't. That's just facts. Uh, I, I don't have any. I don't have any hope for socialism ever being implemented in the United States. What I do hope is that we take, we are able to find a way to take our country's enormous wealth and enormous resources and 
shift some of the gap that exists in the middle class. Because the, the middle class gap in the United States is actually horrible. It, it, but that's no different than most countries in the world now. It's happening in Canada too. It just, over the course of time, when we're all set up like this, that's what's going to happen. It's just there's more of a safety net in a lot of these other countries. But I don't know if it's feasible to be able to do that in the United States. You have too many people. Hey guys, I wanted to take a minute to tell you about my friends over at PowerHourDFS.com. They have an entire suite of daily fantasy sports tools to help you set your lineups this season. You know, they have all the tools that you've come to expect from a, a tout site. They have a lineup optimizer with floor, median, and ceiling projections. They also have some unique tools that help quantify injuries to an offensive line or provide advanced metrics and route data around a wide receiver versus a specific cornerback matchup. They have uh, college football daily fantasy information, uh, which not every DFS site does have. You can get their entire suite of tools along with a game-by-game analysis for every slate showdown-specific content, a cheat sheet with cash and GPP rankings, matchup data, betting content from yours truly, and much more every week from PowerHourDFS.com. And if you use the promo code MATTEK, M-A-T-T-E-K, at checkout, you can save $20 off of your subscription. I mean, that is so, that's like, uh, that's like kind of at the subtext of all these discussions about capitalism and socialism and what's the answer and how do you give everyone health care and, you know, why are there so many poor people and what, you know, why in the United States do you have to go fund me if you get cancer and so on and so forth. And really the subtext of that discussion is there, there are just too many people. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, look at even something like, I don't know, you look at a communist state like China, like the vast majority of people are incredibly poor and have access to nothing and no rights. And, and a difference in the United States is that we do not have like these agrarian communities like they have in China. Like they, like we have very few people that are living in, uh, there are no villages in the United States that not anywhere. Only when it takes to raise a child, then everything's a village. Right. Yeah. But like in, in, in China, there, there are people who live in the countryside who have never accessed the internet in their life. Exactly. So I, I think that a lot of, and th- this isn't one of the other things, so I want to kind of try to keep it on track here with some of the different points I want to talk to you yes, about. Like, yes, go for so it. So in, instead of socialism being the, the key to everything here, I mean, I, I think maybe you don't agree with this. I would say this is a pretty you know, broad statement that people can kind of get behind that innovation is always going to be higher in capitalism uh, than any other sort of political structure or economy in the world, right? I think that in pure theory like if we were just looking at this and like an economic let's not look at it in theory let's look at how this could actually work so i think that you can incentivize people in a lot of ways and i think that capitalism is good at incentivizing people to get really rich right like the the boot the bootstrap story like every you know everyone in america thinks that you can make something from nothing but i do think that under a more centralized socialized system you could still have innovation if the education if education was better right okay so again this is this is kind of a break off of this so we'll get to that in a second so i guess the to finalize the point on this that i would think that in actual practice i'm not worried about you know the the super poorest of someone becoming the super richest of someone that can happen in a capitalist system that that's true it's just going to happen to point zero 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 kind of thing like it's just it's not something like that's such a 
outlier that it's stupid to look at. So what does it affect on real people? Hey, you can throughout time, you can accumulate wealth potentially, but in terms of innovation, um, greedy people and giant corporations are always going to try to push the button on things that are both cheaper to make, uh, more efficient to use and moving forward. So the way that I would think about it is that the actual path of salvation for everyone, like think about how much, and this isn't to say it's easy to do anything, but imagine you were a super poor person in 1947 versus a super poor person today. When is a better time to be alive? Oh, definitely. It's a better time to be alive today. The quality of life is higher today. This is an argument I've had with, um, Andrew Wiggins. Uh, I don't know if you've ever encountered him on Twitter before. He's like a high stakes, uh, daily fantasy player. And he listens, he's listened to a couple episodes of the show and I've been trying to get him to come on, but basically he disagrees with a lot of my positions about life and being that, you know, now is a better time to be alive as a poor person than it was then that, that, that the baseline level of living is just easier and better now. Now, I think that a lot of that could have to do with what you and with people like you and I put an emphasis on of what's a better quality of life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's more like you pretty much like everything less- is cheaper now. The way that rich people lived in the 1970s, poor people can live now. Like you can have a giant TV and it's not, poor people can have giant TVs. They're not super expensive. Yeah. You can have the internet, you can have a phone. Like it's all taking away from your bottom line. But like when you were like, I guess the, the example of like the post-war America, if you were very poor, you could still own land. You could go to the middle of nowhere and have a farm. And that quality of life may be a lot better for some people. But it just seems like the more and more advanced that we get in terms of technology and the more that these companies can produce miniaturization and figure things out that the overall baseline i think to be able to live is going to rise and eventually we're going to get to that star trek future with technology we can harness and that will be the socialism that everyone wants that everyone will be able to kind of do what they want because technology has figured most things out now that's not in our future or by poor people poor people do have less mobility now because basically i'm not even poor like i i do quite well for myself but i could not own land right now I mean, I, I, that's something that I have. Like, I own, my wife and I own a condo in Toronto. We want to buy a house uh, and we just can't. I mean, I could, I could buy a house in, um, but like I couldn't buy a house outright. I would have to get a mortgage, which is just another system yeah, but, being, you know. Sure, but I mean, if you're going to start like railing against the banks because they give out mortgages, then like. No, no, I'm, I'm railing against, I rail against central banks anyways, because what they do is corrupt and is all driven to, to drive the money upwards. I, I like do actually believe that a lot of the fiscal policy is, is probably pretty corrupt and bad from, from not just the, not just, not just from the United States government, from, from pretty much all world governments that central banks, um, just in general, make a lot of suboptimal decisions for the the middle class and the poor. Maybe so, but a lot of this stuff too is it stop stop letting all the all things like this worry you. And maybe if you want to take a very active stance against it and become a lobbyist and try to get all this stuff changed. But I feel like when people start talking about issues like this, they just want to like vent about it on Twitter, do nothing about it, and then like it affects their lives. That like, well, my, my in, way, order to buy a, in order to buy a house, I need to get a mortgage. So I'm going to get a mortgage. Yeah. My way, my way of fighting against that is to buy Bitcoin, to, uh, to opt into something that exists outside of legislation of any government. That, that was my way of saying, I think that the system that currently exists with banking is corrupt. 
And I don't understand, unless you're treating it as a stock, I don't understand the point of buying Bitcoin right now or any cryptocurrency. What's, well, the point of, what's the point of having it now versus having it when people actually use it? Unless you're trying to buy it for nothing and become like a billionaire off of it. Right, yeah. Speculating on like the other cryptocurrencies, like Ethereum and, and all the stuff that's built on the Ethereum network is, is like total speculation, total stock. But Bitcoin is like a way to store the value of your time in something that is not owned or legislated by the federal government. It's, 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 digi- it's like, I mean, a, a smarter person than me, a less idealistic person than me would just buy gold, would literally just buy bars of gold and put it in a safe. Uh, well, what I ended up doing, I did neither of those things and probably made the worst investment possible. Uh, I actually just decided to invest in some blockchain companies because I do think that the security system, if it, you can get that worked out and that is almost impenetrable, then that is going to be used in so many different parts of life, not just currency. You can sell that off as a security system for like digital tracking, yeah. making sure that no one can hack you. That I do think that there is, and so blockchain stocks these days, not super expensive. No, and like I, you know, far be it for me to give out investment advice. Like I, well, other than to buy Nike, that was uh, that, that was, was pretty, a good one. That was pretty good. Uh, so that was pretty good. W- w- advice. If you bought, if you bought all this Nike, which did you buy any Nike? I did. Yeah, I bought a little bit. Are you going to cash out? No, hmm. Nike, Nike clearly, clearly knew what they were doing to to take, to take the Clay Travis position that this was a bad move for their company is so idiotic. I like can't even begin. Yeah, but you, you're not even, you're just thinking about this on this one level. You got to think Nike is inherently right leaning corporation. They're a corporation. They're going to, this is at first I was, they own own child labor. (laughs) places that's how they make all their stuff they probably paid off clay travis just to trigger people like you so they'd go out and buy nike well if you want to go even further if you want to go even more down the sinister road this is a multi-trillion dollar company well probably multi-billion dollar company as you said multi-billion dollar companies are inherently right-wing they're inherently republican they have way more value in things staying the same than they do in changing and what opponents of Kaepernick's would say is that this does kind of dilute the message of, of fighting the man, of fighting the powers that be, because it is, it is just extending the olive branch to, you know, the powers that be. And, and it's true. It does, it does kind of dilute the message of resistance. See, I don't even think that there's anything sinister like that around them. I think they saw, I can make a dollar and a cent exploiting this. Exploiting, because this exploiting. Right yeah. And, right, and, but I, I actually don't think that Nike has any particular lean either way in terms of the message. I just don't think they care. Do I think they care? Which, about which is which? Maybe that's even more sad. Maybe it's even more sad that it's not ideologically driven at all. It's it's literally just purely about the money. I think it is. I think if anyone ran a business or a corporation uh, and wanted to be successful, and they let things like ideology, unless that was like a part of your business, get in the way, that's just completely stupid. I mean, there are companies that engender goodwill that way, like Patagonia. They do a lot of, I, I mean, I, I couldn't say exactly. I had a, I had a roommate well, in college. What, what is Patagonia? Oh, that might not be a Canadian thing. It's like this uh, clothing brand that exists in the United States. They make like jackets and fleeces and stuff for people to wear outside. They, it's like to sell to suburban kids um, like mountaineering gear. 
So it's like it's like Canada Goose, but cheaper. Yes, yes, and uh, they they engender goodwill by like donating some of their profits to like save the rainforest or. Sure, but how much of that is a corporate tax write off, and how much is that goodwill? I mean, that's that's a non. Right. It's that's basically also, advertising, but that's also not an ideological issue. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do it. Oh, saving no, the rainforest, but no one's ever going to come and kill. No one's ever going to rip up their Patagonia. He's like, "Fuck you! You donated to the rainforest." Oh, I don't know about that. In the United States, that's actually a real thing. People what? like people like it's a real thing that like some people in the United States are like worrying about the environment is like bad. You shouldn't do it. It doesn't seem like enough to like th- th- that doesn't seem like a right versus left issue. That seems like a crazy person versus non crazy person issue. Well, that's I mean, you get at this you get at the heart of it. And like these like several of these like conservative thought leaders like Jordan Peterson and uh, Ben Shapiro. They Canadian like Jordan Peterson, who, who's probably he, he's probably teaching a class like two minutes away from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. Like those guys are climate change deniers. I had no idea that Jordan Peter, I like learned like kind of recently that he was Canadian. Yeah. He teaches at the university of Toronto. Um, I, I actually, I don't think that I think that Jordan Peterson and his message can be harmful, but I don't think he believes 90% of the stuff. No, he's like, he's like, he's, 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 he's an agent provocateur is all yeah, he is. He's, he's and, like, a, and, he's a grifter. And for the discussions that we get to have, you do need to act bad actors like that in the conversation to highlight kind of crazy points. That is, be- that is a good point you make, that, that without certain bad actors, that without people acting in bad faith, um, a lot of these discussions do not get had. So I want to talk to you, because I know you have to go eventually, and you mentioned that education thing, and that was one of the key things that I wanted to talk to you about. Yes. What cl- growing up, and from K through 12, what classes should be mandatory now if we were just to completely blow up the educational system? And I think this is a big, people point to, you know, if we were, if the U.S. was more like Sweden, everyone would be happier. It's like, well, that's never going to happen. You don't have 8 million people. But uh, I think you should have finance classes every year, K through 12. Okay. That, that's, that was the first one that I had on the list is financial literacy. Both, both personal finance and corporate finance. You should learn about how you make money. You should learn about how corporations make money. You should I, learn I, how- I, I think you should even dilute it down to more than that. Uh, of I, The one thing that the European countries do, and we don't even do it in Canada, and we should do it here, uh, it, like especially in Germany, like it, it, you get to a point where- and it sucks because if you're in like the seventh grade, you have to make a choice based on your grades of like what kind of school that you go into. But like, if you're going to be someone who becomes a plumber, my dad's a plumber and there was no need for him to like try to take calculus ever. Yeah. <laughs> but why, so why is he taking calculus? Why wouldn't you try to specialize earlier, at least get on a path that gives you more opportunity, whether it be trades, whether it be completely like computer science or whether it be something like business. So like financial literacy is great, but like, even from the very practical application of like, here is how you open a bank account. Here's what you do. Just yes. like, because that's the part that eludes a lot of people that prevents them from getting into situations where it, you're able to save money. You're able to think about saving money. Cause for a lot of people, the idea of saving money is just so foreign because they're living paycheck to paycheck. But if you can have that base from a very young age, have at least, Hey, here are ways to save your well, money. Save, saving money isn't even good. Saving money is saving money is bad. You lose money by leaving your money. Sure. In bank account. Step, step one is accumulating the money before you can start investing and making that money make stuff for you. Most people don't have money. I mean, I leave, I leave a low portion of my total net worth in my checkings account. 
Like I want to have money working for me all the time. Uh, I would tend to agree with you, um, but I, I need cash on hand, put it that way, from time to time, whether it's to you know, pay a mortgage down. Like I need to make sure that I have enough. Like I, I leave enough fluid cash to pay rent, to have you know, you know, food, sports tickets, whatever. But I want to have you know, 60% of what I'm bringing in somewhere where I can't touch it. You know? Oh yeah. It, but I think that's like a lot of people, like I, that's I know a lux- like, that's a luxury position to hold though. It is. So like, if we're thinking about this from like a, from like a base position, cause I mean, I, I didn't really have a real job until like four years ago and I was like the poorest person on earth. Just yeah. I mean, like, same, same for me. Like right, right fantasy, and, and I don't want to put myself off. Like I'm some sort of Richmond. Yeah. I'm no, not. me either. Like I, I was like p- poor enough to be eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch like three years ago. But like my mom's an accountant and one thing that she made me do, and this was a benefit of having a mom who was an accountant, was she sat me down. She's like, here's what you're like, just being able to make a financial plan of here's what I'm spending per month. Here's what I'm bringing in. Here's where I can save money. Here's what I don't need to buy. And a lot of that sometimes comes down to impulse control. But I found that the more planned that I've become, the like just being able to write stuff down and see it in front of you leads to better decision making. And I just, I don't think that's something that's taught in schools that would be, you don't don't learn that. You don't learn that anywhere in American schools. You don't learn how to balance a checking book. You don't learn how to do, you don't even learn about the basic concept of like your money. Like you don't even learn about the concept of like interest really. No, but even like something like, here's how you do your taxes. Oh, you don't don't get that anywhere. Yeah. But that's not super hard. There's programs. You can do your taxes in like 10 minutes. Absolutely. And like, so that would be number one for me, like straight up, that would be financial literacy. Get it every year. Some, every year you're learning something about the world of finance. The issue against that is there from the, from the powers that be, the powers that be a vested interest in keeping people unknowledgeable about the world of finance. Because if people are smarter about their money, that means more of the total wealth is shifting from the corporations and the, the, the 1% to the 99%. I mean, I feel like that's a very, I, you might be right, but I feel like that's a very cynical view. To I, look I, at it is a cynical view and I 100% believe it. And I 100% uh, hold that opinion. Like I, I don't actually even think that's a conspiracy theory. I think that yeah. if you, I think it may not be a conspiracy not, theory, but isn't this the point of actionable democracy that you can eventually go vote these people in that can change things like this? But it's, it's not, you're not even, you're not even uh, voting for a lot of these people. Like the people that make decisions, for these schools are getting appointed a lot of the times and there are all sorts of backdoor stuff like the, the department of education is not, uh, the secretary of education is not voted on in the United States. That's it. That's no, you, you, got, you got old Betsy in there right now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and I guess some of this stuff is partly influenced. Like my views on the financial world are partly influenced by people who are really opposed to it. Cause I do read and keep up with a lot of like the cryptocurrency guys who are basically just like, I don't want to own a bank account. I don't want a credit card. I yeah, these are all these, I mean, these are also the same people that are like snorting Adderall and are on their computers 23 hours. No, you're right. Like these are, the these are like, there is a balance between those people and like real life people. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that every university economist is part of, uh, you know, a vast conspiracy theory to keep people involved in an economic system that is not incentivized for them. 
But I would think like this doesn't even have to be at a na- I mean, it would be nice if it was at a national level, but I feel like a lot of these educational things like just certain classes in certain districts can be voted on locally and people don't give a shit about local politics, which is probably the most influential thing they actually have on your life in terms of politics. I mean, I, I vote in local elections, but you're right. I, w- I, would be, I would be the only one of my friends who ever went to go vote for, you know, student, you know, the local, you know, city council or whatever. Okay, so other, other classes um, that you could have. I think that there should be some sort of dieting slash cooking class. Yeah, just like... Uh, nutrition like, in general. Yeah, nutrition, yeah. But, but, but also, again, like, it seems like, like the schools, I mean, by and large, obviously, if you're there to learn, you learn about theory and the theory of how this can be put into practice. But I think there's just so many practical things that should be taught that aren't. Like, even something like changing a tire. People should know how to change a tire. They should. I learned how to do that. My dad taught me how to do that, but I never learned that in school. My dad taught me too, but like, why can't, why why can't there be, just call it practicality, the class. Here are things you should know. You know, I actually, I went to like a, I went to a public school in a a town of like 50,000 people. So it was one of three high schools and it wasn't, you know, I didn't go to, it wasn't a one room schoolhouse, but like we did have some classes where people learned practical things like that. Um, I don't think like when you went to high school, like for me, gym became an elective. Yeah. Gym becomes an elect. I mean, it's, di- I'm sure it's different now. When I was in high school, gym was mandatory for two years, then elective for junior and senior year. Okay. When I, I I'm a bit older than you. So for us that, that it just wasn't even on the table. You could either take gym if you wanted to, or not take gym if you didn't want to, but gym or some sort of exercise should be mandatory and teach people how to actually exercise. Cause like even like I, I exercise all the time. And I know that I'm not doing it to the best of my abilities. I'm trying to educate myself on like, even like proper lifting techniques to make sure that I'm lifting the best. Like you get it, that if you play high school sports in the United did, States, but, like, but if you don't, you do not learn it. I, I think that's highly dependent though. Like, I mean, that's no different than up here. Like if I played high level hockey, I would have got that sort of training. I played high school football. We didn't get that sort of training high school Canadian rules football. Exactly. Now there was guys that were definitely going on to play like Canadian college and they had like, they went out and hired like strength and training coaches. Why the hell would I ever do that? I wasn't going to play at the next. Right. Yeah. But like just general stuff, like, Hey, here's a good balance between like, what, what do you want to accomplish from your exercise? And I I mean, I I would say I would not view that as mandatory as you would because that information is basically out there on the internet and can be... Yeah, but that requires... So is cooking and dieting. Requires requires effort, requires knowledge to even know where to look. Yeah. But, like that, but that financial information too is widely available if you want to go find it. I, I actually think financial information is harder to understand if you're coming at it without a knowledge base though. Like everyone sure. basically understands the concept of eating. See, I disagree with that. I think Americans in particular, especially. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, good point. Like, just to tell you, like, you, you, know, you, know what, you know what the biggest saver is against, like, high insurance rates and things like that? A population that's not obese. Yep. Yeah, that's real. Like, if people are going to talk about, like, drinking and smoking and the effects of drugs and the effects of all the stuff that goes on, like, nothing kills more people than bad diets in the U.S. Heart yeah. disease. Yeah, no, it's horrible. So like just having, and it's the way that I kind of look at it is like uh, hitting in hockey. So there was this big thing like you now 
10, 15 years ago where they're like, you can't hit people from behind in hockey. You're going to break their necks. But at the NHL level, you know, it never really stopped. But yeah. in Canada, they put, they implemented a system probably 10 to 15 years ago where like that became a priority. You cannot hit people from behind. Like even if you're like eight years old, you're kicked out of the game. It's made like a scene of big stop signs on the back of people's jerseys. Like you cannot hit them here. And I think you see the effects now, like 10 to 15 years later, you put that in place. The people, the people who didn't know all got out of hockey and all the people who grew up playing this way now just play the way that's safer. Yeah. They so play, yeah. now actually translated to the higher leagues. It just takes a lot of time. And I, I feel like no matter what we see right now is that if stuff doesn't work out immediately, people are just more now, more now. Than yeah. Ever. It's a total culture of immediate gratification. Like if a policy change doesn't have an impact in six months, it's a failure. Yeah, and I, I think that's what we're seeing too. Like, um, e- whether it's something like, oh, even some of like the the greater social issues that we're dealing right now, like something like transgender. Transgender is a difficult issue for the vast majority of people to really wrap their minds around, mm-hmm. and like it's. People are going to have you know very antiquated views about that sort of thing. Maybe some people don't believe it's a real thing. You, you know, like the spectrum of views that there can be out there on it. But it just seems like the most vocal people about it are like, well, you're not 100% on board in this. You don't 100% agree with this. You're a fucking moron. You're probably a racist too. Like it takes time for people. Like just think about like gay people in America, the difference between now and the 80s and how much even that is. Even now in like the early 2000s. Just thinking about from the 80s to now, how much things have changed and how much like, you know, basically being gay is to most people, fine. It's a part of culture and like it always should have been, but it's still not great. It's still not the best. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not. It's not like being a straight white guy, but it's certainly better than it was 10 years ago. Sure. And it's better than it was 30 years ago and it's getting better. And hopefully you get to the day where it's not an issue anymore, but it still is an issue for some people. I would say that is, it's an issue of mine that I, I tend when people are, you know, racist, homophobic, transphobic, whatever it is, I tend to be not understanding of being like, well, I don't, I don't even get how your brain made that an issue in the first place, but that's like probably more an issue on my part and how, like I was just raised in like a free to be a you and me sort of way. And I would say 80% of Americans not raised that way. Not, and not, I, would say that I wouldn't even say Americans. I would say 80% yeah, of people, people yeah. aren't raised that way. And I don't think that the constant outrage helps. I think it just polarizes people more and makes them not want to agree with you and not think about things. I'm, I am so of two minds about that because I do think that people should be shunned for being racist and homophobic and whatever. Like, I do think that it should be an unacceptable social, I think it should be social suicide to be that. But it's, okay. it's, and, and you know what? At, at the very top end, it is to yeah. be that. But if you start shunning people for, and it's, it comes down to the same stuff as the Trump thing, when people put too much of too much of an emphasis on this is the end of the world. How could you, I can't believe anyone would ever even think about talking about this for stuff that doesn't like, is, isn't that big of a deal or doesn't really matter. Cause then it, it really skews like when outrageous stuff happens that it all just makes it seem like noise. So you really have to pick your battles with the thing. Cause if you start shunning everyone who might have one of these thoughts or maybe try to express themselves and maybe, the way that they're trying to express themselves is not that right way. If you start shunning everyone, you're not going to get anyone to be a social outcast. You're going to make most of society shunned and they'll just be polarized and look what's happened. 
You're right. Yeah. No, that's a, that is certainly a, a very real thing. And that's like, that's something that I, I should be better at. I should be better at understanding where people are coming from being uncomfortable with people that are different from them. Like, I, I actually think that no one should be able to live in their hometowns after 18. They have to go away for five years. Well, you didn't have to ask me twice to, to get out of Salina, Kansas. But I, I, I mean, I just think about how much my perspective changed from like, and like, hell of, like I'm from Halifax. Uh, it's a great city. I, I would love to live in Halifax again someday. They, have, they got a big CFL fan base there? No, zero CFL, actually. Okay. That, that's why, that's why everyone, that's how I ended up becoming an NFL fan. Just we didn't have it. There's is no, that e- is that Eastern Canada? It, it's East of Maine. So, Oh wow. Very so, far East. It's about as East as you can get, but yeah. like my worldview just changed so much when I left and like, I even look at my friends that are home. Some are doing all right. A lot of them not doing great. Like yeah. just, yes. No, it's, it's a, it's a depressing position to be in to still be in the town you grew up in personally. And that's a city. Like it's a city of like 500,000 people. Um, but like, just the, the growth that you see, just exposing yourself, whether, whether you agree with stuff or you don't agree with it, uh, just moving to different places. Like I moved to a fairly conservative place in Calgary. I lived in Manhattan for a bit. I lived in Jersey. I lived in Toronto. Like Toronto is the most multicultural city in the world. Like you wouldn't be able to live here if you couldn't kind of fit in with everybody. Yeah. I mean, I, that, I think that I wasn't, think that wasn't the case where I was from just exposing yourself to that. I think that's, that would go a long way to just helping people. And like you said, like you said, you don't necessarily know where, you know, these potentially super racist to very mild racist or any racist are coming from when they start thinking about this. But I mean, growing up, I can, I can see how you can get into that mindset pretty easily. I mean, I can see how if you're around, like you could just, you just pick up on what's around you when you're and like teenagers, like they'll just glom on to whatever the people around them are doing. So if you're from a town where like people are just actively racist that just becomes normal. And like you, you'd be shunned for being anti-racist. Yeah. But what, what if it's not even a thing where like racism is a big thing? What if you just grow up in a place where there's a ton of white people and there's just not a lot of minorities? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that was my, that was my, just because no minorities live in your town doesn't mean you're a racist. Yeah, no, true. True. It doesn't. And I mean, that was my situation. Like I grew up in a small town in Kansas. There were, it it was probably 15% people of color in the town that I'm from, that would be, that would be, that's my estimate. It could be a little bit more. It could be a little bit less, but certainly if you didn't want to be exposed to people of color, you would not have had to have been. So anyway, my whole point on this is that the, the constant outrage about everything and like, there's no, there's, there's no more minutia. There's no more different levels of things anymore. It's either this or it's this. uh, And the outrage has just caused so much polarization that why would anyone want to change? Why wouldn't you just find people that think like you? So people aren't yelling at you 24 yeah, seven. Yeah. It's a lot easier. It, well, it is, but like, I don't want to be yelled at 24 seven. Do you? No, no. That's why I just mute, you know, I just mute people who are mean to me on Twitter now or, or, or if you have an American flag in your bio and you like say mega anything, I just report your account. I'll just, I'll just go find five year tweets and I'll report you to Twitter and you'll probably get banned. And I, I don't think that Twitter is like the best place for any of this. Stuff. No, that's, I mean, that's like Twitter is like the, the hellscape. Well, Twitter is really the, just the personification of all of this stuff that I'm talking about. But it is. Like, like, but how outrageous, like, 
this is maybe we can end with this because this is just one question I wanted to have. How different is your online personality than the personality that you have in real life? And I even include stuff like this. Like, is I would include this as a part of your online personality versus what me you're and like you, me and you talking right now. This is this is very close to who I actually am. I would this- say that me talking to you right now is far closer than what I really am than anything that anyone ever sees on my show. Yeah, but when I when I come on. And like when I'm, when I'm tweeting, most of the time I'm trying to like make a point like generally, but, but right now you and I just, this is me being a version of myself. That's very focused on saying what I'm actually trying to say instead of just talking. Cause these are like, these are important issues. These are issues with weight and I should, I should say my truth instead of just like splurting things out. Well, there is no your truth. There is the truth and there's everything else. Well, no. I don't, you don't believe that. I do. I I don't think that people can live their truth. I think that there is the truth and then there's, there are facts and there are not facts. Well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying the, the, the truth of what I actually believe of what I actually think like. Okay. Then then you, you need, you need to start rephrasing that into saying, this is what I believe. You can't just say what you believe is the truth. Even if it's your, your truth isn't a real thing. Well, do you believe in the, do you believe in the objective or subjective nature of reality? I believe in the objective nature of reality. That's, see, I, I would, well, to what, to, see, that's, this is a whole different podcast. Cause I, I, I just have, I, I don't think that things, I think that in the objective reality that we live in, most things are shades of gray. Most things in general, no one is completely right. No one is completely wrong. And I think the subjective nature of society and reality is starting to look at things in black and white. And that is just wrong. Yeah, no, I so I'm I'm with that viewpoint. I'm with the the idea that everything has has shades of gray, like literally everything. So, and I think that people have changed that. I think that's how, and maybe just I wasn't there, but just like reading about history, maybe it's it's always been like this, and just we have more access to information and to talking to people that we just don't know, and it's just it's very obvious now. Yeah, it is. So it. That, that's not great. <laughs> A lot to think about. This is why I wanted to come on and talk to you about these things because I can't talk about this on my show. People would like to try to kill me. I don't even know if we. I don't even know if we got anywhere. We might have just started that whole discussion. We should do oh. this again. Well, let's see. This, this, I listen. I have like thirty more topics. I have some fun ones though, just very quick ones. If you want to get over it, just yeah. Like, we got we got five minutes before I gotta go get on serious. Okay. Have you ever heard a plane overhead, like or a really yes. like? or really long, like a, a plane that's like coming really close or like a 18 wheeler truck that like the sound is like, it starts far away and then it starts coming in. You can hear it, but you don't know what it is. And you think it's a bomb. No, but that's going to be a different experience based on where you and I live. Maybe potentially. I, I've been freaked out like two or three times in my life. that I thought my life was over that like someone was dropping a bomb on us and it just turned out to be a plane flying too close to the city. <laughs> That is not an experience that we have shared. Okay. Have you ever tied coins to a railroad and get yes. the train to run over them? 100%. Very, like is- very, very small town Kansas thing to do. I, I feel like this is what we did before the internet. Yep. Oh, and I just read. I just read all the time as a kid. Like pretty much 80% of my waking day was spent reading books until I was like 13. Okay, and I'll leave you with this because this is something that came up over the weekend that uh, one of my friends told me about his friend. What is the etiquette? What is the proper behavior that if you go hook up with someone in Thailand and they turn out to be a ladyboy? 
don't don't mention it. <laughs> I don't know. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just they they found him outside of a hut, just crying outside on the beach. <laughs> I think you just gotta. I think you just gotta let that person make the choice if they want to talk about it. If they want to. So, so that is a situation where someone would get to live their truth. <laughs> yes, you would get to. You would get to choose to deal with that. However, you might, and you got to have a little bit of sympathy. Imagine yourself in their shoes or, or whatever. Yeah, it's just I, I just I, I couldn't wrap my mind around. Like I I'm, no sure, I'm, I'm sure that was not the first time that ever happened, and I'm sure it was not the last time. And if they want to talk about it, go for it. If they don't want to talk about it, I certainly would not be making fun of them about it. Well, here's is, the thing: the improper etiquette. Well, and that's sort of what my friend came to the conclusion of, but then it happened to him again the next night. <laughs> like he just, he wasn't aware that these were things. Like he just assumed they he were just Well, hey, I mean, that's like on him a little bit, but still, still I'm, I'm not comfortable making that dude the, uh, the subject of ridicule. You'd think you would become like in tune with what was going on and where yeah, you, you were you would, after you it happened would, once. You would think that he would get a little bit more critical, but I assume they were also probably just like hammered drunk like all day. That's true. And I was told that like the, the best looking women that you see like on the beaches over in these like resorts in Thailand are like the lady boys because they're, they're the best at makeup. I mean, make, I guess it makes sense. That's just a wild world that I probably will never find myself in. Yeah, I've never been to Southeast Asia. So just hearing the stories, but I have a friend that lives in China right now. And just like some of the shit that he tells me, like they had to start up like him and his, he, him and his wife. His wife, he's a teacher over there. His wife is from the Philippines, but she owns like early child like daycare. Like it's actually like a private business um, in China. And like they had to pay off like one of the city councilmen or one of the city like planners or something wherever they live, like 200 grand American just to get like the red tape. Like they, they had it open. It had been open for like six months and they, the Chinese government, this guy who works for the Chinese government, shut it down. Can't use it yep. anymore until you pay me. Like just a Whenever anyone complains about America, and I think this is what I want to end on. It's I, definitely I, worse in China. Just like as bad as you have it. And that doesn't mean you should not stop fighting to make it better. You should always fight to make things better in, in whatever way that you want to do that, whatever you think is best. But just think about shit like that before you start getting too fucked up about everything. Great place to end the show. Pat, thank you, man. You want, you want to plug your podcast? Yeah, PME. It's not like this. It's not like this. If you want all the fire golf tips, fantasy football, waiver wire advice, and uh, all the Ander curses you can stomach, go check Pat out. Search uh, the PME on iTunes. Yeah, I feel like my show is more full of laughs. <laughs> if you're sad, if you're sad after listening to this, whatever the most recent PME show is will definitely make you more happy. Yeah, it's me, it's me and Feinberg fighting about the Ryder Cup. There we go. Pat, everyone, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.